Well, hey, everybody. Uh, This is a very special episode of This Good Word. I got a chance to sit down with my dear friend and mentor, Ruth Haley Barton. Uh, Ruth is the director of the Transforming Center, where I spent two years uh, going to Chicago every three months for a weekend of retreat and learning and spiritual transformation. I talk about that more in this episode coming up. But I also got a chance to sit down over two long days in Chicago with Ruth, and I got a chance to record her brand new podcast with her, which is called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. And season one is all about developing sacred rhythms in the life of a leader. It's going to be nine episodes long, and you can get all the episodes week by week at Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast with Ruth Haley Barton. You can search for that, or you can find the link on my show notes or in the description of this episode. So enjoy everybody, enjoy my conversation with Ruth, and then I really encourage you to head on over to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, and you can enjoy me and Ruth talking about spiritual formation over nine episodes. So fun, so fun. Enjoy everybody. Well friends, this good word, I am so thrilled to be here with my friend Ruth Haley Barton. Hi, Ruth. Hi, good to be with you. I met Ruth in 2011, and I was at a very, very dark place in my life. Uh, a relationship that I had loved had just blown up. And one of my friends, Vicki Degner, had enrolled in this thing called a transforming community through the Transforming Center, of which I had not heard one word. She invited me to consider being a part of it, and I sort of blew her off for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so sorry to tell okay. you that, but I sort of did. <clears throat> and uh, I remember it was starting, I think, in July, and literally in June, I was up at my parents' cabin, and someone had given me your book, mm-hmm. Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. I was wrecked. I was a mess. I was journaling up there, but I was reading your book. And it's it's the story of Moses and how, um, it, and it's one of my favorite books of yours, and as I, was reading it, I, as I was reading it, I was weeping, and I realized I needed to, mm-hmm. whatever else I needed to do in my life, I needed mm-hmm. to, to commit to being a part of this transforming community because my own soul needed mm-hmm. strengthening in a profound way. It was very, very mm-hmm. broken. And it wasn't just because of this relationship. I was at just a season of my life. I had just turned 40. Mm-hmm. Some of the rhythms that had sustained me up until then were no longer working Mm -hmm. for me, and I didn't know what to do. And so, literally, I sent an email and said, is it too late to sign up? And thankfully, someone Mm -hmm. got back to me and said, no, it's not too late. So I showed up at this first retreat. I remember coming in late Mm because my flight was late, and I was all worried about that. I got there. I was worried about checking into my Mm -hmm. room and all the normal things. I was worried about not knowing anybody except for my one friend, Vicky. And um, uh, someone, and I can't even remember who it was now, just looked at me and said, it's mm-hmm. going to be okay. <laughs> I'm going to take your bag over to your room. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, you can just yeah. go have dinner. Like, he, yeah. he saw he my shepherded you and in. my anxiety. <laughs> and Ruth, uh, that started a mm-hmm. two-year uh, journey of, um, in some ways, my soul being definitely strengthened but mm-hmm. also saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you started this ministry, this nonprofit called the Transforming Center 15 mm-hmm. years ago. So can you tell me, tell us a little bit about your story? I know you grew up as a pastor's kid, then you became a mm-hmm. pastor. You had a pretty significant experience um, 
that changed the trajectory of your mm-hmm. life and eventually led you to really care for caring to, to strengthen not just care for but mm-hmm. strengthen the souls of leaders and pastors yeah yeah um well i am an overachiever <laughs> in every <laughs> <I'm not>. way <laughs> and um I so i started you know being involved in ministry trying to follow in my dad's footsteps like while i was still in college yeah. so by the time i reached my early 30s i had been overachieving for about 10 years and um at the same time, sort of avoiding and ignoring some of the issues that there were in my life, um, questions that I didn't have answers for that really emerged from my life in the church and, um, you know, places of anger that were unresolved, sadness that I had not really faced into. And so in my early 30s, I, you know, in a pastoral role, I, I really hit a wall where I realized that, you know, I was teaching and leading people about how to be intimate with God. And yet I, I had places in my own life where I, I just wasn't able to open up to God. I didn't even know where to go with God with those things. And because the church I was serving in was, you know, quite conservative, the questions that I was asking were not questions that could easily be brought up in that setting, and especially not by a person who was in leadership. And so I needed to, you know, find a safe place for my own soul. And so God led me to a spiritual director, which was a wonderful thing. And it was there that I began learning about some of the practices that are, you know, more connected with our ancient traditions, not our most contemporary traditions, things like solitude and silence and Lexio Divina and the examen. Um, uh, but during that time, I was able to face some of my deepest questions with God, and I actually had to drop out of the church for a while in order for it to fe- feel safe for me to do that. And um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that God gave me the courage to sort of let go for a while, because sometimes that's what we most need when God is trying to call for something new in our lives. We we almost have to let go of what we're relying on so that God can do something really new. So it felt a little bit like the trapeze artist, you know, letting go of the one bar that I had, letting go long enough so that I could swing out far enough to get the next bar. And so fortunately, in those couple of years, God did meet me in new and profound ways, and I was able to wrestle through Uh, some of the questions that I had, and come to a place of newfound intimacy with God. And as God often does, always does, he led me back into church ministry. I thought I was done. He knew I wasn't. And so he led me back into uh, pastoral ministry. Um, But during that time, I began to see how our patterns, how we do life in the church is often very exhausting. And not only did I notice it for myself, but I also noticed it for the people around me. And notice that even when we're succeeding in those external ways, our souls can be shriveling up. I saw that both in myself and in some of the staff people around me. And so during that time, out of a very personal sense of need, some uh, leaders from other churches and organizations around the country, we acknowledge this desire for each other and, you know, with each other and and, and decided that we were going to just start getting together to attend to our own souls and that it would be outside of each of our ministry contexts. So we weren't, you know, there wasn't anything to lose because people were seeing how messed up we were. <laughs> um, <laughs> and not just messed up, really, that's not even accurate. It, it's more about desire. We had such a desire to go deeper with God and such a desire to have honest, open, and authentic conversations and such a desire to practice some spiritual disciplines together, to enter into fixed hour prayer together, to enter into solitude together and see what God would say, and then to have a group that could get our and understand what happens in solitude, and we could be spiritual companions for one another. And so we did that for a while just for our own soul's sake. 
And I'm serious, it really was just for us. It was for our own soul's sake. But then eventually we thought, well, I bet there's other pastors and leaders who would like to be a part of something like this. And so we put out a little invitation, like made on a desktop, yeah. you know, computer. Yeah. And Clip Yeah, it, we did. It Absolutely. And it, we um, we printed those off on someone's desktop computer, but we did not have the postage uh, to mail them. And so uh, we only sent it to our friends and family. And it was my brother, who's also a pastor, who sent in the first registration wow. fee which meant that we could then buy postage to send out all the yes. other invitations. And so the first group together was a group of 13 people, five leaders. And at the, it was one retreat called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. So this was long before there was a book called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. It began as a retreat. And after that one retreat was over, they said, this is so cool. Could we just keep going? And I said, well, I've been working on this thing. You know, I'll share it. We can try it. And so that's how it started. With um, it, it ended up being, you know, 12 participants and that same group of five leaders. And off we went. And actually, that group met for three years wow. when we started. But we thought, well, nobody's going to sign up for three years. So we backed it up to two and then thought, well, maybe we should let some other people know about what's going on. And that's how 15 years ago... Uh, the Transforming Center began, and that's how the Transforming Community emerged. And the first two or three weren't even called Transforming Communities. We didn't even have names for it. Yeah. We just you know, knew it was going to be a two-year commitment, and people found it to be something that they wanted as well. And so here we are today um, getting ready. Just, just started TC, Transforming Community 13. Uh, Transforming Community 14 will be starting in September. And it's kind of an amazing thing. And, you know, now it's not 12 people. It's 70 yeah. um, every time. And yet there's there's still a small group component that gives a sense of intimacy yeah. to the experience. And um, it's a beautiful thing to see leaders that are willing, like you were, to, to say, this is where I'm at. I, I need something more yes. than what I have right now. And dag nabbit. I'm going to I'm going to reach for it and I'm going to order my life around this because otherwise I will not survive. And that's where I was and and I don't know that everyone was there but I met a whole lot of people within the 70 people right. in in my community which was TC which is what we call it Transforming Community 6. Uh, that were at similar places mm-hmm. um, that I was. And and it was great. I mean there was people my age, there was people older, there's people younger, men, mm-hmm. women. Um and it was my place every three mm-hmm. months where I would get on a plane after church on Sunday. And uh, with my friend Vicki, we mm-hmm. would sit in pretty much the same little gate mm-hmm. every single uh, three months. And we would start to prepare mm-hmm. our hearts for yeah. uh, for rest. And there was always great teaching from you. And there was always lots and lots of silence and solitude. Mm-hmm. I would run around the lake there every, every time. Um, and I would just collect myself. I would mm-hmm. I would do a lot of journaling, some crying, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, in my reading. There's lots and lots of reading, which is so people like David Benner, Robert <clears throat> Mulholland, and others. Your your books. It was so helpful to slowly help me build yes. uh, a rhythm of my life that included silence and solitude, encountering the scriptures for transformation. I learned that um, prayer didn't always have to be with words. That was Mm -hmm. such a revolution for me, Ruth, that I could just be in God's Mm -hmm. presence with maybe some written out prayers. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a, in a tradition that no one ever said it, but it was, it was all, it was very assumed that if you had to use written out prayers, you were immature. Mm -hmm. Like, it means you didn't have any words to say, so right. somebody else has to, Someone else had to give you, you your mean, words. Yeah, yes. you, you had no life in God. And so 
uh, <laughs> we are all striving so hard to impress each other with mm-hmm. our spontaneous yeah. prayers. I learned to intercede for people mm-hmm. just by bringing them into the mm-hmm. presence of Christ when the Holy Spirit brought them mm-hmm. to my mind, which is something you taught me as well. I learned about being for the sake of others, not just my own transformation. Mm-hmm. So, um, and maybe the most helpful is I, I really learned um, a really helpful definition of mm-hmm. spiritual transformation from you. Mm-hmm. Can you share that and, and what and, and why? Because e- each movement of it is very significant. Mm-hmm. It's dense, yeah. but it's beautiful. <clears throat> yeah, and um, it actually begins with Robert Mulholland. Yes. His definition in Invitation to a Journey is that transformation is the process of Christ being formed in us uh, for the sake of others. And over time, though, I felt like we needed to expand the definition just a little bit. And so so I included some other things in it. So the process of Christ being formed in us for the glory of God, yep. because a transforming human being does glorify God, just like a beautiful flower glorifies God by being a flower, just by, like a tree glorifies God by being a beautiful tree. A human being glorifies God by being a transforming human being. And isn't that wonderful to yes. think that we can, we can glorify God just by being and becoming the authentic self that he created us to be. That's all we need to do to glorify God. I didn't yes. think that's wonderful. That's yes. restful all by itself. So we do it because it glorifies God. Um, we allow, you know, we, we engage in the process of transformation for the abundance of our own lives because this is the best way to live. Yes. Jesus promises, I've come that they might have life and might have it abundantly. And so living as a transforming self is way more abundant than living as a self that's in bondage to our sin and living in bondage to our false self patterns, right? Yeah. So it is for the abundance of our own lives. And then it is for the sake of others because Jesus, you know, of course, God loves the world so much that he gave us Jesus and Jesus... Um, was the personification and is the personification of God's love for us. And so if Christ is being formed in us, what does that mean? It means that love for the world is being formed in us as well. And that uh, because God loves the world so much that even our transformation is something that God uses for good in the world. It's It's a beautiful thing. And it's not always about what we do. Right. It's often about who we are, that we are a fundamentally different kind of person and that that person... Um, impacts the world in good ways. Oh, that's so beautiful. And you mentioned true self, false self. Um, and and I know what you mean by that. Um, but can you say a little bit more about true self, false self? Because I think there's a sense in which many of us are living uh, tired, mm-hmm. exhausted, shame-filled lives. And, and we feel like that's kind of the end of the story. Mm-hmm. And we're living maybe out of our false selves. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. Well, I'd like to start with the good news, and that is that there is a true self. Each one of us has a true self, and that true self is the person that God created us to be as we are being redeemed in Christ. Yes. So, um, you know, we are part of God's good creation. The psalmist says that um, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God saw us before there was any days of our lives, and that God brought us forth, that we are part of God's good creation. Good. This authentic little self, you know, yes. that God saw and God calls into physical form. Um, and that's that's the very good news. The bad news is, of course, that we are born into a very sinful world, and we have a sin nature ourselves, which, you know, responds to the sinful world that we're born into. And so all of us, because we are born to survive, which is a beautiful thing, the fact that God puts in each human being the desire, the will to survive. Yes. 
that's amazing to me. And so the false self is really uh, developed out of that desire and that need to survive as a vulnerable human being in a sinful world. Nobody's perfect. No family's perfect. The world is certainly not perfect. And we all have these primal needs for love and safety and security and affection and approval and power and agency and all that. Those are all um, very legitimate human needs yes. that belong to us as human beings. But what happens is that we, starting at the very beginning of our lives, begin to try to secure those things for ourselves, those very primal survival mechanisms, and we don't even know we're doing it. That's why it's complicated, is that it's unconscious. Yes. And so we don't even know we're doing it. We don't even know we have these self-protective mechanisms, this, this human program for securing what we think we need. The good news, again, is that in the beginning, it really does aid us in our survival. And many of yeah. us wouldn't even Save have survived if it hadn't been for that survival mechanism that God placed within us. But then eventually, as we mature and as God begins to invite us deeper into the spiritual journey, the invitation is to let go of those false adaptive mechanisms so that we can abandon ourselves more fully to God. And that is frightening because we don't know anybody else but the false self at that point. We don't know any other way to survive but with those false self programs and strategies. And so when God begins to call us to be our most authentic self in God and begins to redeem all of that, that's the beginning of what Mulholland would call the deeper spiritual journey. Yes. Um, and, it's, and it's profound. And, and thank God that that invitation comes because even though it's hard to see how we have depended upon ourselves for our survival. Um, it is a, is it a gift of God's grace that we ever do get to see such a thing because many people go to their graves and never, never know that they didn't live as their authentic selves in the world. So those of us who are, you know, graced to be called to, to you know, to see these things and know these things, it stings, it's painful at yes. first, but it's a grace too that we oh. get to move beyond it. Big time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a grace that hurts at mm-hmm. first. Like you said, it stings. And But then we realize when we come to the end mm-hmm. of all of our trying mm-hmm. so hard to secure our own mm-hmm. salvation and to secure our own place in the world mm-hmm. and to keep using these strategies. And that's why... Uh, on the podcast, we've we've talked a lot about the Enneagram. There's two episodes dedicated to that. And so the, the, the Enneagram is, is how each is nine different personality types, if you want to call it that way, or nine different strategies, right, that we, that we all use mm-hmm. to secure our own goodness. Yeah. And when we come to the end of that trying hard, the grace is, oh, mm-hmm. God is inviting us on a journey right. of discovering our true self. Mm-hmm. And being formed in the image of Christ, and so Mulholland's book is called "Invitation to a Journey." Mm-hmm. Fabulous yeah. book, seminal work, I think, in terms of formation. Yes, absolutely, so good. Um, okay, so Ruth, right now in the world, in the United States, and all around the world, I would say we have an, a, a level of fear mm-hmm. and rage, yeah, and stress mm-hmm. that is um, that is kind of taking everybody yes. down. Yes. Mm-hmm. And on social media, everyone's upset and raging and ranting. Where do you see hope mm-hmm. for the body of Christ in this world, for human beings in this world, for those who are oppressed, for those who are oppressing them? Mm-hmm. Where do you see hope? Well, I see the hope in the very thing that we're talking about yes. here, you know, in the transformation of human beings into the image of Christ. And, um, the transformation of our beings into the image of Christ 
first of all, it's, it's very much like what Gandhi said, be the change you wish yeah. to see in the world. Yeah. That, that the first thing any of us can do is either embark on a journey of transformation or deepen our intentionality to our own journey of transformation so that we are the love that this world needs in every interaction that we're in. When the, the angry person is screaming at us, we we are able to be in love in that moment or wherever it is that we see these things happening. Um, so it, I do think it begins with our own transformation, not getting out there and trying to change the world through some sort of human effort. Um, but that's only the beginning. Um, in Romans 12, Paul talks about the fact that our transformation leads us to be able to discern what is God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so I believe that when we're engaged in a, in a serious transformation process, we will also seek to discern what is our part to play yes. in what's going on in our world. And all of us are going to be called to different different ways of acting and being, different very specific things that God will call us to do. And I I find it very hopeful when I see people trying to discern that. They realize, I can't fix the whole world. This We are messed up. Yeah. We are so messed up. And I can't fix it all, but what is mine to do? So I see little groups of people getting together to try to figure out, you know, young moms, what is it, what is it that we can do? Um, what is it that politicians can do? People who are Christians who are politicians. You know, what are community leaders? What's some, what can we do in our community? Um, a pastor to say, what what is mine to do? What's our communities to do? What's my sermon to preach? You know, yeah. what's the, the, the bit of activism that's ours to do in our community? How can we make a difference? How can we, t- you know, take in refugees even when our country won't? Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm yes. saying? Um, so that's the only hope is the transformation of human beings into the image of Christ and the profound love that is, and the strong love that is who Jesus is. Um, in our staff here this week, we ha- ended up having a staff meeting on Valentine's Day, which was kind of, in a way, felt kind of silly. And I brought, you know, little cakes with, you know, love and all, everything. And then I thought, Valentine's Day is a really important day for us as Christians because love is the only answer. Yes. So let's move beyond sentimentality and really pray that God would strengthen our ability to love and to see the love of Jesus, which was very strong and which led him on a radical course of laying down his life for us, love is not sentimental slop. Right. Love is the strongest force we have. It's the only force we yes. have. It's what Martin Luther King Jr. would call soul force. Yes. And that is the force of a soul that is willing to allow the love of God to flow through it. That is the only hope. It is the only answer. So even in these communities that you mentioned, to see pastors and leaders committed to their own transformation, that's hopeful to me. To see, I mean, I get a ringside seat. I see the transformation that happens. You know, lots of people come in, like you came in, dark and discouraged. And and as the, the experience progresses, you see them lighten up and you see that that they're hopeful again and vibrant again and and I'm like, "Well, wow. That's hopeful." Yes. You know, that yes. God does that work and then they go back out and they bring, they bring that presence to the world that God has called them to be a part of. So, I I mean, I hope it doesn't sound simplistic, but I don't know any other answer to that I question. I love the answer and yeah. I think it's beautiful. So, uh so you are the leader of the Transforming Center. And what I want to say at the end here as we wrap up is there are some people who are ministry leaders and pastors who are listening right now. And as they heard your passion for transformation, as they heard my story, they're interested, maybe their interest is peaked in joining one of these mm-hmm. transforming communities. So uh, if that's you, just go to transformingcenter.org and click on Transforming Communities and you can 
apply for the next one. You can see all, there's nine retreats. You have to commit to being here in the Chicagoland area, three days, every three months. So it's costly, but it's also really costly not to, Mm -hmm. if you're in that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So I would, I'm going to highlight that. I'm also going to highlight Ruth's books. I'm going to put a link to the Transforming Center bookstore. So Strength and Soul of Your Leadership, Sacred Rhythms, Invitation to Solitude and Silence, Discerning, um, Pursuing God's Will Together. Ruth has written so many books that are so beautiful. Uh, and so I'll put the links to that on the show notes. And lastly, super fun, but Ruth has just started a podcast of her own called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. Season one is all about sacred rhythms in the life of a leader, and I'm going to put the link to that podcast on the show notes as well. And I got the wonderful, unbelievable opportunity to host the podcast, so I get to ask Ruth all these questions. And we it had was... so much fun, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, so please, please, please head over. Uh, to my show notes and get the link. If you don't want to head over to my show notes, you can just go to transformingcenter.org and they'll have a link to the podcast on there. Uh, thank you, Ruth, so much. Oh, it's been a for, pleasure. Man, these yeah. last couple of days have been so fun. And uh, I'm so glad we got a little time for uh, the This Good Word mm-hmm. peeps to get to know you. Thank you. So thanks, Ruth. And uh, my benediction that I say every time on this good word is we are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy. And we're in it together. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ruth. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Weens, and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my preaching, my books, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com.